in John chapter 1, we read these words, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. The life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. Father God, Lord Jesus, Spirit of God, enlighten our hearts that we truly would be agents of your light, of your life, of your reconciliation. We welcome you here, knowing that where two or three are gathered, you are here in our midst. May we know it is you that draws close. Lord Jesus, that you truly are Emmanuel. God with us. And Spirit of God, resonate that truth within us. That we may deeply, truly, abidingly know it. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to go ahead and grab a seat. If you don't like where you're sitting, there's a few others available. You can freely move. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Tim. Uh, I've been hanging around for the last year and a bit. Uh, if you're not used to the way I speak, I apologise. It will come clear after a while, I am sure. This morning, uh, Ryan has entrusted the great honour of sharing from the scriptures. We have been for the last many weeks in the book of Revelation. Today we'll not be, which I'm okay with. Uh, I, actually, that's not true. I will quote one verse from the book of Revelation, just to hang with the theme. But this morning, I chose to read John chapter 1 and use the image that's coming up because I'm simply going to bring the theme of the Advent, the coming. I like with this theme um, the traditional theme of candles. Uh, there's a single candle that is burning in this image. Uh, because no matter how small the light feels, light is light. I love in John chapter 1 that it simply says that the light came into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And however much we live in days that it feels like darkness is on the move, that darkness sometimes feels like it's closer than the light. And I speak that honestly because uh, it's easy to become overwhelmed when you see darkness in people's behavior, in people's attitudes towards one another, in the despair, in the anxiety, in the fear. And the themes that we find that, that come with this, with this word, the advent or the coming, that I'm going to touch on really briefly, but I hope that you will explore in this next month are the themes of hope, the themes of joy, of peace, and of love. And those four themes lead us up to what we celebrate on December 25th, which is uh, 
the coming of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the hope of the world. So I'm just going to pray again and really just simply ask that God would bring the truth of this home to bear. Oh God, even in our unknowing, we so deeply need you. In a day where some days it feels like the, the flame is flickering, we want to take hold of the firm foundations of hope, of joy, of peace, and of love that draws us and reconciles us to you, the Father. Thanks. Amen. So this word, the advent, it's not a biblical word. Uh, advent is not found in scripture. It's actually a Latin word, which feels very relevant uh, in, in what we've been talking about uh, as kingdom in the midst of empire. And if you're not familiar with that, go back a few weeks. It's uh, what Ryan has been introducing in this thought that, that these scriptures are written in the context of empire, Roman empire to be specific. Roman empire, uh, if you are not super familiar with history, was... Uh, the ruling authority over the time of, of Christ. Uh, we read about Caesar Augustus uh, and his edict and his demand for census, and so that sort of contextualizes Jesus' time. But this word Advent is this Latin word, uh, and it really was used in, in Roman times, uh, this word Adventus, as the coming of a champion or the coming of a victor who, as they would be uh, returning with their spoils, there would be this sense of the emperor or the, the Caesar or the, uh, the centurion, whoever it is, is, is coming. So this word, Adventus, was a culturally relevant word in Roman Empire times. In fact, uh, one of the more famous ones historically is from this Roman epic called Aeneid, which is by Virgil, interestingly written between 29 and 19 BC. So this is written prior to Jesus' Adventus, his coming. Let me just read a little bit of it. I found this fascinating. It goes like this. Here, Caesar of Elis, glorious seed. Behold, ascending to the world of light. Behold, at last, that man, for this is he, so oft unto thy listening ears foretold. Augustus Caesar, kindred unto Jove, he brings a golden age. He shall restore old Saturn's scepter to our Latin land, and o'er remotest Garamant and Ind his sway extend. The fair dominion outruns the horizon, planets, yea, beyond the sun's bright path, where Atlas's shoulder bears. Yon dome of heaven set thick with burning stars against his coming, or adventum. The far Caspian shores break forth in oracles. The Maeletian land trembles. Man, can you hear the audacious statement in that? And it was this idea that it would be uh, the furtherance of the glorious rule of Rome. I really like that Luke, when he writes his, his testament, his teaching of Jesus, this stuff is well known in the context of empire. And so 
Luke opens his with the angel's words to Mary saying this, at the Adventus or the coming of Jesus, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus and he, bless you, will be great and will be called the son of the most high God and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. I just think it's fascinating that Jesus comes in the time of the declaration of the Adventus of Augustus and the angels come with this beautiful authority and declare the Adventus of Jesus whose dominion will have no end. You, I hope, start to see that the New Testament writings are written within the context of empire but is a declaration of the overarching authority of God that will know no end, light that burns in darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. So this, I believe, holds great weight for us even today. Because there are powers and authorities and rulers in this world that would love to declare their authority. And we have to hold fast to the words of the advent, the coming of Jesus, that darkness cannot overcome that light. Throughout Scripture, there has been this longing from the very beginning, from the fall of man in Adam and Eve and the promise of this redemption that would one day come, this healing that would one day come, there has been this myriad of scriptures of hope for a deliverer, for a Messiah. I'm going to read a couple of them because the hope was one that would deliver all of humanity from not just brokenness but this perpetual bondage to sin. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, branch, and he will reign as king, and he will deal wisely, and will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Isaiah 11, pretty well known and read at this time of year. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. In Micah chapter 5, again, common in this time of year, but listen to it in context. You, O Bethlehem, you're only a small village amongst all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he will be the source of peace. Zechariah 9, rejoice. O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. His righteousness and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, fulfilled by Jesus. Malachi 4.6, and he will then turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And these and heaps of others throughout the Old Testament before Jesus were written in expectation of hope, of joy or rejoicing, of peace, of restoration of what love looked like. And that's why these themes 
at the time of Advent are so relevant because there was always this expectation. And the, the thing is that we still, living post the revelation of Jesus, have this longing. Longing still that those things would be fulfilled. I believe that in Jesus, that we have seen it and carry a taste of it. But it's yet to be totally fulfilled. We know in our faith that in Jesus the power of sin was broken once and for all. That's what the cross was about. That's what we will talk about a little, little later. Sometime around April 2024. We'll, we'll begin to look at that again. But the power of sin was broken. And we wait the promised return of Jesus, who, according to the angels, according to uh, Luke, and written in the book of Acts, is coming again. If we believe the Scriptures, it's not finished yet. Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 say this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while the disciples were watching and they could no longer see him and as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood amongst them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you to heaven, but someday... But someday he will return in the same way that you've seen him go. He will return. And there's this longing still in our hearts. And in that meantime, we've got to hold these themes associated with the coming or with the advent, not only dear to our hearts, but foundational to our faith. And that's what I want to just review pretty quickly these, these foundational, what I would say are essentials in Christ. They're themes of the kingdom. Themes of the enduring kingdom of Christ. The kingdom that Jesus himself taught us to engage and to continually invite in prayer. Jesus, when his friends said, would you teach us how to pray? Said this, pray like this. Father, you who are in heaven, honored, hallowed, glorified be your name. And then he said, pray like this. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And the thing about that is it's not just a conceptual, futuristic thing, let your kingdom come. It was a prayer for the abiding kingdom of God to be known. And I really sort of pray a little bit more in that when I pray it. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in me and through me. And I hope that as we look at these four themes of hope, of joy, of peace, of love, that they might truly be seen in us. And that they might truly be engaged through us in a world that desperately needs it right now. You see, one of the things that Ryan has spoken a little bit about is this idea that we just kind of have to bide time and wait for this kingdom to come. That we've, we've got our ticket and we're now waiting the out of here. Last week, Ryan spoke a little bit to the concept of rapture, that we're just, when the time comes, we are out. The thing is that Jesus has called us 
in the present time to live with this message of reconciliation. We are meant to be engaged in this earth, in the day-to-day, in people's lives. We're meant to be that message of hope, of joy, of peace, of love, and the representative of Jesus. So I'm going to have a look at them. The foundational theme of hope, and I've laid them in this order deliberately, because I believe they build on each other. The idea of hope is that it's, it's a firm foundation. It's not this feeling that we have that, oh, I wish, I'm hopeful for, which is often around the idea of Christmas and the presents under the tree. I'm hoping for, I'm wishing for, but if it doesn't happen, it's a bummer. That's not the idea of hope that the Scriptures are talking about here. Hope is not erasable by circumstances. Hope doesn't come and go. Hope is this anchor that holds us fast regardless of what's happening around us. I love the writing of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. If you've got your Bible, have a quick look at it. Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah writes this, and I'm sort of jumping in in the middle of it, verse 21 I'm starting with the word yet, because Jeremiah writes it like this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I hope in Him. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 and onwards. The word yet is really important in this passage Because yet makes you look at what comes before that. And it's usually easy when things are good to say, I I know that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. His faithfulness, His mercies, they begin every morning. And I say, man, you're my inheritance. But look at the context of Jeremiah's writing of this. This is where he says, yet I will dare. Yet I will be audacious enough to have hope. Because before it, he says this, I'm a man who's seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's driven me and brought me into darkness without light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. He's besieged me, enveloped me with bitterness, with tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me in. I can't escape. He's put heavy chains on me. He shuts out my prayers. He's blocked my ways with hewn stones. He's made, he's like a bear to me lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He led me off. He tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow. He set me as a mark for his arrow. He drove it into my heart. The arrow's in his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of burdens, the burden of all songs all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He's, He's sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory, my expectation for the wolf. And then he goes, yet, yet, I will dare to have hope. Does that, does that strike you? It does me. When I think of hope, it's easy when things are good. Jeremiah is writing with this audacity to go, I will dare. He has this whole list of complaints. The word yet stops it and changes its course. I wonder if any of us need the word yet right about now.
And I look at the injustice in the world, the desolation of this world, the genocides of this earth, the forgotten wars of the Sudan, of the Ukraine, of what's happening in Israel and Gaza. Man, I can't even picture myself in any one of those situations. And the threats of so many more in this earth. Maybe your circumstances feel overwhelming or crushing. Maybe there's moments in your day where you're like, Lord, where is your light? Where is peace? Maybe you've got bad news on illness. Maybe you've experienced loss. There are moments we need this word yet. Yet I will dare to have hope. Because Lord you are faithful, you are merciful, you are loving, you are gracious, you are kind regardless of what I see. This became so important to me in my life. And it was genuinely transformational when I watched my mum suffer and die. And I, and I was looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and there's these, this verse that I held dear and I hold dear, but I had somehow allowed it to take on some strange connotation. Because Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is being sure of things hoped for and certain of things not seen. And, and somewhere this idea of hope and certainty drifted into this, if I believe enough and pray enough, it will come to fruition in the here and now, and that's what faith's all about. And I watched my mum suffer horribly and die. And I started to look at it and go, what is faith? What is, what is that hope? What is that assurance that that I'm supposed to be holding on to. And all I came back to, and this is what I anchor myself to in faith now, my faith's got real simple. It's this, that God, you are who you say you are regardless of what I see or experience. It just means I'm yet to see the fullness of it. That is my hope, that one day I will see the fullness of God's mercy and justice and righteousness. Because there are definitely things I see in the world that I go, that's not just and that's not righteous and that doesn't look like mercy and that doesn't look like goodness and help me understand. What's the hope that we carry? Because I believe that genuine hope, when it's engaged, gives way to rejoicing or joy. And this is why joy builds on top of hope. Because joy is not just giddy happiness. Joy is that contented smile that just goes, it's all right. It's all right. Because his mercies are new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. And therefore, I can dare not only to have hope, I can dare to have joy. It says he is who he says he is. Joy is founded on a confidence in a promise. Again, not just the circumstances we find ourselves in. A New Testament writer, Paul, says it brilliantly, or the translation, I think, in the New Living, says this, our hearts ache. But we always have joy. <laughs> Doesn't that sound conflicting to you? It does to me. Our hearts ache but we always have joy. 
And so there's something different about joy and happiness and joy and just feeling good. Because again, Paul writes similar to Jeremiah where he is suffering. And he's talking about how he and his friends in their missional trips are going, we're suffering, we are outcasts, we're poor, we're hungry, we're beaten, we're thrown outside of cities, we ache, but you can't rip off our joy. And this can be conflicting again, but we're called in this message of joy. Our hope when seen, really erupts in this rejoicing. And that's what you see in, in, again, Luke with the shepherds, where they, as part of this Jewish people, have waited and waited and waited for this fulfillment. And then all of a sudden, one night, while they're doing what they do, the heavens open and these angels are standing there with them and they go, hey, guys! Don't be afraid because we've got a message that is great joy for the entire earth. It's born in Bethlehem. Savior. That word Savior, Messiah, would have pricked their ears up so quick because they have been taught that this day is coming and this yearning would have been real to them. A message of great joy for all mankind. And then they run in and go, let's go and see this. And then they, in their joy, tell everyone around them the, the message that they've heard. But hope and joy does not just ignite exuberance. But it partners with rest and peace. Because in that statement, the shepherds come to this this manger, and they see this baby born, and they are stoked. They are thrilled. They're excited. And Mary, when she sees all these things, and she sees the fulfillment of her hopes, and she's been told that this baby is the Son of God, it says she quietly ponders these things. And both in, in that scene, there's this joy, but there's also this restful pondering, a peace. And truly, when we are anchored to hope and we engage with this, with this joy, with that simple smile that goes, it's, it's good, then peace comes to rest. It's really interesting when uh, John writes later, in John 14, he records the words of Jesus, who says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. And in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. Again, this is contextually written in the time of empire, of Roman Empire. And for a period of almost two centuries, there is this, this time known as uh, Pax Romana, or Roman peace. And it is recorded as a time of peace, though there were ongoing war. Pax Romana is a time of relative peace. In Roman history, it's a season that was not as out of control as other seasons. But it's also written about like this. Uh, Mamigliano, who is an ancient um, Italian historian, puts Pax Romana in these terms. Romans regarded peace not as an absence of war, but as a rare situation which existed when all opponents had been beaten down and lost the ability to resist. That's, that's Pax Romana. And so when Jesus is saying to his friends, his disciples were not just students, they're his friends. When he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled, you trust in God, then trust in me, for my peace 
I leave with you. My peace, not Pax Romana, not living in submission to an empire. My peace I give to you. And I don't give it as the world gives it. I don't give it by beating you into submission. I don't give it by just lording it over you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. How does the peace of God come in the Advent? With the name fulfilled, Emmanuel. I love that song. It's God with us. It's why I wanted John 3, 16 and 17 read from the message. Because it says this, that God did not go to all the trouble of sending His Son to just point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to put it right. He came to help. He came to fix it. This is what the Advent does. It brings this hope that gives way to joy, that allows peace to truly come. I love in Paul's imprisonment, he writes to the church of Philippi. And again, under Pax Romana, under Roman rule, under the peace of Rome, while he's being guarded in prison, he writes this, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Rather, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, but thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Or it will set watch over your hearts and minds. I love visualizing stuff. So you picture Paul imprisoned. Uh, often when you read in the book of Acts, they're chained between guards. There are guards who are set watch over them. And I like that Paul just goes, pray for the peace of God. Because that's what's going to set watch over your heart and mind. Right now, there are people stationed outside my prison door who are charged with keeping watch over me. Uh-uh. The peace of Christ is going to keep watch over me. I love that Paul writes it like that because he's not writing it out of context. He knows what it is to live under fear. He knows what it is to be attempted to beaten into submission. He's the one who says, I know what it is to ache. I know what it is to hurt. But you can't take my joy because it is rooted in a hope. And the peace of Christ guards me. Gosh, that's an incredible statement. And when you really start to engage those things, you realize what Paul is saying is that prayer is not just this, help me, help me, help me, get me out of here. I need, I need, I need, provide for me. He's doing really what Jeremiah does. He's saying, yet... You know what? I'm going to take all of this and I'm going to submit it to him because I know he's faithful, he's merciful, he's good. Every new day that I'm stuck in here, I'm anchored in that hope. Paul has this beautiful way of just saying what, what prayer is to him because it's really easy to not pray. If, if we're not anchored in hope, it's really easy to not pray. We just wrestle through it. Or our prayers become this list of do for me, do for me, do for me, help me, help me, help me, I need, I need, I need. I've, I've worked, for, I worked for a long time in, in church leadership. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie What About Bob? It's a great movie in the study of humans. 
But Bob is this desperately needy guy. And there's this moment in the film that he's saying to his psychologist, his doctor, he's going, help me. It's real bad. I need, I need, I need. And I wanted to, and Donna really helped me not to, I wanted to put that as a ringtone for certain people <laughs> in my life. Because I knew when my phone rang, it's going to be, it's real bad, man. You've got to help me. I need, I need, I need. And I so... Donna's just kind of like, what happens if it's on the table and... It rings. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it'd be worth it though. No, I didn't, I never did it. I still might. Depends how well we get to know each other. Sometimes that's our prayer rather than a yet. And Paul has this ability to just refocus it. It's easy when we walk in comparison. Oh, they've got it so much better than me. I need, I need, I need. Or conflict, where we're in trouble, tensions between us and others. Oh God, I need you to fix them and fix this. Criticism, complaining, and all of those things. Paul had all the opportunity <laughs> where he's imprisoned. Jeremiah laid out all of the things that were going on and then he goes, yet. It'll, a prayer that refocuses us really allows peace to take charge. You know what? When we have hope and joy and peace like that, it's actually easy to love people. Because we're at rest. And then that love becomes this gift. When we know the gift of God, which is an unconditional love, we in turn love unconditionally. The love of God revealed in Jesus, as we read, comes to heal, to restore, to make whole. It comes to help. It comes to put things right. And so then we also had read earlier 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because this is where it all sort of comes together in us and through us. When that prayer really takes charge of our lives, Lord, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom foundation principles of hope and joy, and peace, and love, in your coming to me, allow that to be lived out through me. Let me be an ambassador of reconciliation, an ambassador entrusted with this message, imploring, I love that word used there, imploring, begging people, be reconciled to God. Not the God who comes to just judge the world. The God who so loved the world that He gave His Son. That His coming was the gift of hope and joy and peace and love. We are agents of that in the here and now. This is why the coming of Jesus was, was not just to secure us salvation so one day we can get out of here. It was to transform our lives that we become agents of that kingdom message and those kingdom principles. I love what, what Ryan said last week and there were two things he said that I, that I wrote down. He said this, the new creation is coming, but it is also in us right now. The total restoration of the whole earth is coming. New heaven, new earth is coming, but it is also in us right now. Behold, you are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. 
He also said this, we are to participate in changing things here on earth. So where there is no hope, what are we to be agents of? Hope. Where there is no joy, what are we supposed to be? Agents of joy. Where there is no peace, we're supposed to be ambassadors or agents of peace. And it's a reality. I have a privilege in my, in my job where I am engaged with people all day long and 98% of them are in crisis or need. I transport people around Lutheran Hospital. Love it. There are moments I walk into a room and I'm asking God all the time, where do you, where do you want to declare yourself? Uh, I, I am not a chaplain officially. I just make myself one. <laughs> but I walk into rooms and I see someone. I had a lady, that, she had a procedure coming. I walked into her room. Her hands were just red from ringing. And as I'm preparing her to go, I said, you look troubled. And she said, I am. I said, are you afraid of what you don't know? I am. And then she said, I googled my procedure. No. Don't ever do that. <laughs> I said, you, you, it's all right, you're going to be asleep. I said, but you know, I have a really simple faith in a God who says this, believe in me, trust in me. I'll give you a peace that goes beyond understanding. It goes beyond Google. Can I pray for you? She just let me pray for her right there in a the hospital room before I go wheeling her. We get to be agents of hope, of peace, of love. And so I ask this, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts truly be, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in me and through me. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16, Jesus said this, You are the light of the world. Jesus says, I entrust you with the light that came into the world. And that's why with these images that I've chosen to put with each of these themes, it's now the hands holding that candle. Because we get to be that gift of hope and joy and peace and love in a world that has lost it. You are the light of the world. People don't light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men. Let your light be a gift to mankind. Why? Let it shine before others that they may in turn give glory to God. Because it all goes back to Him and His promise. And so I encourage you with these final three things. And I'm not going to expound on them. They're just three statements there. In this season and in this day, as ambassadors and agents of the kingdom of God and his principles, as agents and ambassadors of hope, of joy and peace and love, be aware of the needs of people around you. Open your eyes and open your hearts. Be intentional 
towards people around you. And be engaged with people around you. Be aware of, be intentional towards, and be engaged with. And may we be the gift of light and life that people need this Christmas. Would you stand with me? And if you're willing to, and if it would be significant to you, I'm just going to invite you maybe to just open your hands with a simple of an act of being open to receiving. And together, let us just pray those first lines of the prayer that Jesus taught his friends. And if you're willing to, after we pray, the kingdom come and will be done, add in me and through me. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done in me and through me. Amen. Amen. May you walk in those words and be that hope, joy, peace, life. Amen. On that note, we also have hope of coffee and donuts. <laughs> God bless you.